Hello and welcome to License to Chill, the Margaritaville podcast. This is your weekly 30-minute escape. I am Patrick McDonald. And I am Ryan Middledorf. Yeah, we're here to talk about anything but work right now. Please, nothing but work. Yeah, please. <laughs> Leave your work at the door. You Don't be on your computer during this. Don't even think about it. Don't hold a pen. No. <laughs> no. Oh, no pens. No pens allowed here. No need for a pen on a podcast. No. <laughs> <laughs> T-shirts coming soon. <laughs> Speaking of shirts, there's a moment in today's interview that uh, might spark some shirts as well, so mm-hmm. look out for our merch. Uh, we have such a fun guest today. Uh, I can't believe we got to talk to this person. Uh, his music has influenced my life in a million ways. He's just created some stuff and had some iconic looks and mustaches that have <laughs> lasted yes. for years and years and years. I'm uh-huh. telling you, this guy's a legend. Who is it, Ryan? This week, our guest is an American singer-songwriter best known as one half of the legendary duo Hall of Notes. He's been inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and is an accomplished author. His memoir, Change of Seasons, was published in 2017, and he has several digital singles that are being released right now. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome John Oates. John Oates, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Good. It's a pleasure to uh, be uh, virtually with you. We uh, we're just talking about your uh, your new music. Uh, Why can't we live together and disconnected? I know you got some more music coming out, um, but we love your song uh, Arkansas as well on uh, Margaritaville. We play it all the time. I, I know that, and I'm very appreciative of that because people tell me all the time, "Hey, man, I heard Arkansas on Margaritaville." No, seriously, yeah. it's uh, it's been great that you guys have been uh, been spinning that. I love it. Yeah, we love it too, and, and it's cool because uh, I, I think your new music is. Uh, it obviously it harkens back to some earlier stuff you did, but it still fits in our Margaritaville vibe. It, f- it still is that really nice, easy listening, hangout music. Um, Great. But it feels like a cool pitch, a push, you know, away from that. Arkansas is a little bit more of that country vibe. So I want to know, you know, where that transition came from in the past few years. Yeah, well, Arkansas is kind of the evolution of my moving to Nashville, you know, over 15 years ago. Um, and really, it came from an album called Arkansas. It was the title track. Uh, and the album was really roots-based. It was about the about a lot, of, uh, a lot of early American roots pop music. And Arkansas was one of the few originals that I wrote for that album because I did a lot of covers of of, of like the people like Doc Watson, Mississippi John Hurt, you know, a Blind Blake, people that I really kind of like grew up uh, being inspired by. So yeah, um, so I was really happy to, to write a, an original song that kind of had that vibe. But you know, uh, as time has gone on, especially during the pandemic, I started, I don't know, I started writing, you know, since I was kind of on my own, I all I had was my uh, my laptop with my garage band and I started programming <laughs> tracks. And, and as I began to program tracks, they started coming out with this 70s R&B feel and you know i just i just fl- go where the flow man i go where the where the creative creativity takes me and uh, it felt good and it felt right so i started ma- writing songs like that <laughs> i love that just kind of you know accepting where the music is taking you and just following that passion um, I, th- I think that's so great. Is that a, a practice that you follow in the rest of your music as well for your career? I, I think it's a practice I follow in my life. Uh, you know, I, I've got I've, I got a wide lane. Uh, my lane is very wide, um, and uh, I'm you know I, I like all kinds of music. I really have uh, you know I have really wi- a wide variety of tastes, and so I don't restrict myself. Uh, if I can if I can do it authentically, and I can you know pull it off, and you know not not sound phony or anything like that. I mean, let's put it this way: I'm not. 
I'm not doing any contemporary country songs. That's that's <laughs> I that is that's where my lane narrows very quickly. You know, and I get there's an exit usually very close yeah, by. You know, booth. Yeah, get yeah, off yeah. that exit. You know, and find find another road. Um, but other than that, man, I just love I love roots music. I love uh, I love early rock. I love R and B. I love folk. You know, and so I just try to combine all those influences. Yeah, you you talk about uh, diving in a garage band over the pandemic. Uh, how did it feel to come back to a sound that you knew, but uh, creating it in a completely different way than you did in the seventies? Was it was it easy to organically, uh, kind of spiritually attached to that, or did you have to learn the instrument? Well, no, it was a hybrid. Um, so I've been working on GarageBand ever since GarageBand started, literally wow. when when it first appeared on a Mac as a, as an app, uh, you know, as a as a program. Um, and actually, I was involved with um, with uh, helping develop a little bit of GarageBand because I was so into wow. it as a songwriter. Um, and can I blow my my horn here for a second? Hell yeah, uh, please that. do. Um, when GarageBand started, uh, and I was using it as a songwriting tool, and uh, especially early in the early days of Nashville, you know, I'd get to a little songwriting session, and the writers would all open their laptop and you know, kind of use GarageBand to, to put snapshots of, of of ideas, melodies, you know, riffs, whatever it might be, chord changes. And um, while we were doing that, you know, I'd always have to slide the program off to the side and pull up a Word document so I could type some lyrics, right? And I'm thinking. Well, Wait a minute! This is Apple. They 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 own the virtual universe. Why can't we have a Word document in GarageBand? There's all sorts of things you can do. So I literally um, I was invited to out to um, Cupertino to uh, go to to Apple, and I met the GarageBand people. And I talked to them. I said, Hey, why don't you guys put a little really simplistic word processor essentially um, in the corner, you know, somewhere? And they did. They put it up in the right hand corner next to the same logo that pulls down the the, the digital samples. So, wow. um, and now when you click on that little thing, you know, a little, a little op- opens up a, basically a word processor. So you can type while you're still recording and you don't have to switch screens. So I, I I'm going to take full credit for that. It's not much, but uh, when AI takes over the world, right, they're yeah. going to have a little, really small statue of me. So it'll probably be about six inches high. It'll be kind of like the, um, like the, the, um, the thing in uh, Spinal Tap, you know, when the when the yeah. uh, when a what you would call it comes down, but anyway, so <laughs> the, you know, the early days of virtual recording. Oh yeah. John Oates was responsible for a word processor. The, the AI museum. That's right. And all the little young AI are going to be, we already know all of this. <laughs> <laughs> we know everything. What What has that been like for you, you know, a, a musician coming through the, the 70s and the 80s in the studio system to now see how accessible recording and producing is for other musicians? Hmm. Well, you know, hey, listen. There's, there's a good, there's the the good and bad. Uh, you know, the good thing is that everyone can express themselves and have a, as a vehicle to express themselves. The bad thing is that everyone can express themselves. <laughs> so, yeah. so I mean, you gotta, you know, you gotta kind of like, you know, figure it out. Um, but here's the thing, and what I do is, and and what I've learned is, first of all, being in Nashville, you have this incredible resource of the most amazing musicians, players, you know, whatever at your disposal. And uh, years ago, Vince Gill told me a, a story. He said, look, man, when you're producing a song in Nashville, he goes, it's not about who's the best guitar player or who's the best drummer or bass player or whatever. It's who's the perfect fit for this song that you want to do on that mo- at that moment, right? And so you yeah. have to learn who the, the cats are in town, you know, who, who you can pick from. So it's like it's more like being a director in a movie. You know, you're, you're almost casting the, the players. Um, and I've, I've learned that and I have a, I have a, a, you know, a really great 
group of guys who I call upon depending on what type of music. But I use GarageBand as a, as a kind of template. I, I, te- I kind of flesh it out at home, but then I bring that in, and instead of trying to explain to the guys what I want to do, I go, here, listen to this. This is, this, is, this is where it starts. And then what we do is we play over it and or sometimes we keep some of the stuff I did at home, sometimes we don't. On that song, Why Can't We Live Together, a lot of that is, is the original GarageBand tracks with a, wow. li- with a live band playing over top of it. Um, yeah. uh, I just have to uh, mention this. We've, we've had a bunch of interviews here in the past few days, and I would say 80% of them, Vince Gale has come up organically. Mm-hmm. He's the man. He, I'm, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I think he's one of the most talented people in the world. There's no doubt about it, you know, and... Uh, you know, now now that he's an eagle, I guess he uh, yeah. he's, now yeah. he's even got one more uh, thing on, on his uh, you know, resume. That's really cool. And uh, how long have you lived in Nashville? Well, I started going there in the late '90s when Daryl and I uh, kind of stopped touring during the '90s um, and began writing songs. And then, as the early two, in the early 2000s, uh, my wife and I we got a little condo there, and we thought, well, we'll just test test the waters. And and little by little, just made more friends, got to feel really, really comfortable in town and uh and uh and then we bought a house and so we're, we're pretty much there we still have our place in colorado but um but we um we definitely spent a little more time in nashville yeah you're in uh like uh like like old snowmass road over there or woody creek in colorado or where you... Woody Creek. oh you know yeah. you know uh you yeah know the area. i have a lot of family that lives um uh in glenwood springs or newcastle over there yeah, but sure. uh you know, not too far. And then uh, because we're, you know, uh, Radio Margaritaville, we know a lot about uh, his uh, house on Old Snowmass Road with Glenn Fry over there. Sure. Yeah, Jimmy Jimmy had the house over there for a while. Um, and now it's been, uh, now that Glenn Fry's place was just taken over by a, a, I can't remember the name of the company, but it's a local local group who's, who uh, put a studio in it. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. I haven't awesome. been there yet, but I hear it's pretty cool. Yeah, that whole area. So that Woody Creek Grail over there, or uh, the, the bar tavern. over there, yeah. the tavern, Woody Creek Tavern. I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I had I spent my birthday there just three days ago. No way! Yep. Happy birthday! Yeah. yeah, that's a beautiful place. I'm sure you you can get a lot of uh, rest and relaxation and uh, some some good oh, thinking yeah, it's done. Great. Well, I, you know, we've had that place out there for over 30 years. So wow, uh, been been in the valley for a long time. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you do some skiing out there too? Uh, yeah. You know, I, I was a really avid downhill skier for many, many years and then I got tired of getting hurt and I, yeah. <laughs> I, I now, now I just cross country ski. I do a ski. Oh, great. I, oh, great. I, I do Nordic skiing, skate skiing, and, um, I ride bikes and I do, you know, I like to hike and stuff like that. I love being outside. Yeah. yeah. What's that cross country tra- uh, path over there, uh, that goes the to Rio that, Grande uh, Trail? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it goes, goes to, and there's that bar that's kind of sitting there that you can cross country to. Yeah, it goes all the way from Aspen to Glenwood Springs, 40 yeah. miles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, amazing. That's beautiful over there. It used to yeah. be, the, it was the original old uh, narrow gauge railroad track that used to carry the, uh, the the lead and the silver out of, you know, from the mining town, you know, area. Right. And then right. it became a, you know, now they, they turned it into a bike path in the summer and a, and a cross country path in the winter. It's mm. really wow. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing out there, yeah, yeah. What brought you out to Colorado? Boy, I I went there and, and I went there as a college uh, when I was in college. Uh, they had a, a I found a, a little three by five card on the student union uh, bulletin board that said uh, Aspen ski trip, hundred and twenty five dollars all included. I was like, <laughs> okay, and I was sitting I was sitting in a class 
and I was talking to some guy who I didn't even know, and for some reason talked about skiing. He goes, oh, I'm a skier. I said, have you ever been to Aspen? He goes, no. I said, you want to go? And he said, you know, this, when I'm, you know, when you're 19 years old, you know, um, he, and he said, yeah. I said, well, I, it's 125 bucks. He goes, yeah, I can do that. So we, he and I went, I didn't even know the guy. And we went to Aspen and that was 1968. And, um, John Denver was playing in a bar in Snowmass, and everyone was talking about this young guy named John Denver. And I thought, is that a joke? I mean, we are in Colorado. It's like right. he actually calls himself John Denver, <laughs> you know. So we went to see him, um, and I remember, I remember distinctly, it was amazing because he was playing this little bar in Snow- Snowmass had just opened in 1967. So this was really the early days, uh, you know, out there for that for that mountain anyway. And uh, he he said that he was really excited because. Peter, Paul, and Mary were going to record one of his songs, and it was leaving on a jet plane. Wow. Yeah, and he played it, um, and, uh, you know, obviously, and that was his song. But uh, And that was, you know, and I I remember I said, well, and then years later, believe it or not, we were both on the same label on RCA. And I got to hang out with John a bunch of times and, uh, you know, various places. Wow. Do you feel like your life has uh, kind of circular or cyclical moments like that, where you have these checkpoints where it's like, I have this thing, and then it comes full circle into the next thing yeah um the, the, well the colorado experience in general was uh, it was amazing for me because it happened at a time in my life where um i just needed a change you know i had had some issues i got divorced had some business problems back in new york and i wanted to change and i i had bought a little condo out there and i just sold everything i had moved into a condo and lived in you know lived with no car and just took the bus and rode my mountain bike and um i skied you know every day and it was just the thing that re it, it re, i rebuilt my life out there so it has a lot of me- deep meaning for me yeah sometimes it's it's so important just to have those those reset moments be them big or small um, do you still try and find time to, to do that? Or do you, do you feel like you need to kind of hit the reset button every once in a while? And if so, you know, how do you do that? Well, I'm actually, I just hit the reset button while I'm talking to you right now. I'm um, basically, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's, you're a completely different person. <laughs> That's right. That I, I can't help myself. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's impressive. You just didn't know it. I had to I tell you because, you know, because I can, I can, I, I can hide it. You know, I have a very, I have yes, the ability yeah. to be very, uh, yeah. Exactly. All right, let's move on. That was stupid. All right, all right. And <laughs> not at all. Hey, everybody. We just want to take a quick break to talk to you a little bit about the Margaritaville Perks program. This thing is amazing, and it's uh, not like your typical hotel loyalty program with tears and restrictions and all that confusion. It's a really fun, simple, and easy way to get rewarded for booking direct and staying at your favorite Margaritaville. That's right. There are so many personalized options for you to have an enjoyable experience at a Margaritaville using these Margaritaville perks. You can select these options during your booking process or at the front desk, but some of them include uh, complimentary cocktails, a fruit and cheese plate, a movie pack, early check-in, late checkout, uh, room upgrades, resort credits, retail discounts, all sorts of things. Uh, this really takes your stay at a Margaritaville to the next level. So go to margaritavilleperks.com and sign up today. Back to the episode. Um, yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your uh, your songwriting journey. Um, when did you realize that you could, you know, cra- uh, obviously, you know, we know you for uh, for your your singing guitar playing as well, but like songwriting is such a uh, important 
pivotal skill and and something that's very personal. Um, how did you come about kind of discovering that you had that ability? Well, you know, I, I started playing guitar at a very early age, and of course I sang, you know, as a little kid as well. Um, so I was a performer, you know, a child performer. Uh, my mom was a bit of a stage mother, so she pushed me in that direction. Uh, and when I was in seventh grade, we had an English assignment to write a poem. Uh, and I wrote a poem, and it was it was around the time of the, um, you know, the Cuban Missile Crisis when you know Kennedy was in, in, you know, president, and the Russians were putting missiles in Cuba. It was this big deal, right? And so I wrote a poem about the Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, and which I turned in, and I got a, you know, I got an A on it or whatever. And the teacher knew I played guitar, and it was like the beginning of the kind of the folk revival, the protest song, Dylan and. Phil Oaks and people like that, Tom Paxton, you know, were writing protest songs. Uh, and he said to me, he said, have you ever thought about putting this to music? And I, it never occurred to me. And I went, ooh, maybe, you know. And so I think I did. It was probably probably terrible. But, you know, um, but that was the that was the, the kind of light bulb, that moment where, you know, he suggested it. And then I said, oh, wait, wait a minute, I can do that. I, I like to write. Writing has always come easy to me just in terms of writing. Uh, and so I began to think about the possibility of writing and playing, you know, and accompanying myself on guitar. What's your, uh, like, philosophy towards songwriting? Is it is it sit down and do the work or is it wait for the the spiritual collective unconscious to come through your brain like where, where does that it's, yeah it's all of that it's all, all of, of it that. everything you know you hope for the you hope for the you know the the inspiration you know the divine inspiration to, you know to come out of the out of the, the ether but you know and and that's really always the best place to start but then again there's a lot of craftsmanship involved you know sometimes you'll get this amazing inspiration and it kind of ends and you, you, you feel like, wow, I've got something here, but I don't, you know, it's not finished. It's not complete. And that's where the, the, the work comes in. That's when you, you know, you have to sit down and really craft it. And uh, I, I enjoy that process. I enjoy, you know, of course, I'm always appreciative when you get an inspiration that you can just roll with. Um, and then at the same time, I don't mind digging in and rewriting. I, I always, you know, the old cliche, writing is rewriting. I, I really believe that because I like to craft something and hone it and make sure it's really as best as it can be. You were collaborative for so long and you're still collaborative, I assume, with your other artists. Um, uh, but now that you're more at the helm of your own music, uh, how does that process different? Do you like being like the 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 biggest voice in the room or <laughs> uh, funny you should say that uh, <laughs> the biggest wuss in the room now that's the biggest that's voice a... biggest voice well, i thought you said the biggest wuss in no the room way. oh my god made. can you imagine no, i'm gonna have a t-shirt made i think <laughs> That's the next single, right? Oh my gosh! This is, this and I'll send you one. Biggest, yeah, because yeah, yeah, I, I'm, honestly... I'm actually thinking of collaborating with Weird Al. The, <laughs> the biggest wuss in the room will be our next single. Everybody's clear. Send me the shirt. I deserve that oh, shirt at this point. Yes, and by the way, I'm going to totally screw you on the publishing and the songwriting credit. You know what? I'm going to give it to you. I don't need it. I don't want to. I don't want to profit off of biggest wuss in the room. Do I? Okay, so just everybody's clear. Just clear. Biggest no one, voice, voice in the room. In the, room. <laughs> the one in charge. Oh, my God. Have a little level set. Yeah, imagine. <laughs> Sorry. We can go off you're, on a little tangent here, right? I love it. You did That's say it was freewheeling, didn't you? We yeah, did. Yeah. Yes, no, yes. This is exactly what we're looking for, so we're good. <laughs> um, 
Um, so yeah, so what was it like, you know, being the, the, the one at the helm? Well, you know, listen, I, I, sure, I'm the director, so to speak, when I'm making my music, but, you know, one thing I learned, and I learned this a long, long time ago, in fact, I learned it when Daryl and I made our first two albums at Atlantic Records in the early 70s with Arif Martin as our producer. Arif Martin was the consummate producer, as far as I'm concerned. He was a, he was a comp, comp uh, he was a he, he was an amazing musician who really understood everything from classical to jazz to to rock and pop. Um, so he had a wide palette of, of skills. But what his real genius was that I that I began to learn that, you know while working with him was he would listen to the song and then he would surround the song with the best people and the best sounds to make to bring that song alive and to to really make that song speak. And that was his genius. You know, we'd go into the studio, we'd have a song and there'd be, you know, he would he would choose the rhythm section, the drummer, the bass player, the keyboard player, whatever. And then Daryl and I would just do our thing, right? But every t- every day we'd go in the studio, there'd be different people. And it was because he really looked at each song as an individual piece and he said, how can we make this song as best it can be? So I've used that philosophy and that approach on, on everything I do. So what I do is, um, and here again, it goes back to like what kind of what Vince Gill said about casting the musicians. You find the best people and then you trust that they're going to do something really good and you let them do it, but you have to be kind of the the. the traffic cop you know you have to you have to know when to say when but at the same time you don't want to stifle them and it's a it's a delicate balance of how to do that and I think I've learned that over the years I've been in a recording studio for so many years now that it's just one of those things when things are flowing you let it flow and then especially now with digital technology you can you know you can always change things you can always modify something edit you know recreate um, so now with pro tools and things like that the palette is even the uh, the the potential to do more is even you know it's you know it's unlimited really i was going to say how quickly in the studio can you pick up uh you know when a song needs something so maybe you need to give a certain note to a musician or maybe you need to tweak something how quickly are you able to hone in on that or does it vary it kind of depends um depends on the type of song you're doing some of these newer songs like disconnected and um and uh, uh some of those pushing a rock, uh, which was the first digital single, those songs were pretty well crafted at home on GarageBand, and so the the style was pretty well determined. I and and the players just basically took what I I gave them and enhanced it. Um, on uh, on on why can't we live together? I really wanted a more organic feel, so I didn't do quite as much uh, in pre-production on that one, but I just fleshed it out in terms of the format, the chord changes, the you know the general tempo and all that sort of thing, and then I let the players really dig into that. So every situation is completely different. I think you just be, you're flex. You have to be flexible. Totally. Mm. Uh, and then something that you know has always fascinated me about musicians is, uh, and I, I feel like you know a lot of people have different answers to this. Uh, you know, you can spend so long crafting a song, crafting an album. Uh, for you, when it's out in the world and you listen to it again, will you pick up on things and say, "Oh, I wish I'd done that differently," or "I wish that I had changed this a little bit," or do you just love it as the finished product that it is? Well, I think um, I think a, when you make a recording, you make a record. I think it's a, what you do is you're capturing a moment in time. You're capturing the the synergy between the players, the the sound and the technology that's in the studio, the engine, the skill of the engineer. You're capturing all that, and you're capturing the the 
the, the feeling of that moment. And I think that that's something that's like a painting. It should be captured and appreciated for what it is. Um, I have never actually tried to redo a song except now. <laughs> um, mm. On P- Pushing a Rock, um, that song was written with a, na- a guy named Nathan Paul Chapman, who was Taylor Swift's first producer. And Taylor had gone on to, to work with other producers at that time. And he and I wanted to write a song about overcoming challenges, you know, whether it's his personal challenge, or, you know, where he was going in his career, uh, what, whatever challenge, you know, that you might have. And that's where Pushing a Rock came from. And so when we recorded that in 2014, I thought the words were great, but I, I, I kind of felt like I didn't really do do the music. Uh, the music wasn't up to the quality of the words, let's put it that way. And so mm-hmm. during the pandemic, I revisited that song because here again, it, the world was, it was trying to overcome challenges during the pandemic. And when I revisited the song, I said, you know what, I can do better. Um, and it's the first time I ever, I've ever done that. And so I basically scrapped the music and rewrote the entire musical track, keeping the words almost identical. Um, and then uh, played it for Nathan. He said, "He said to me, he said this way it always should have sounded." So um, you know, I was really, <laughs> I was really happy about that. And so when I, when I, so I, re- I released a revised version of that song, and I just called it "Pushing a Rock." And so that's the one that it came out just recently. Um, I've never, I had never done that before, and but there, you know, it just felt right, so I did it. Um, in terms of, um, in terms, of, I have another song coming out where I'm doing a reggae version of Maneater. And oh yeah, cool. Be, yeah, that comes so out. Cool. Yeah, that comes out in a month or so. And what no what way. happened with that is when I when I wrote the chorus of Manny, the hook, I wrote it as a reggae song. And then when Daryl and I finished it, we changed the groove to a more Motown feel, which is the feel that you'll hear on the record. Um, but in my in the back of my mind, I always thought, man, one of these days I'm going to do it as a reggae song. And I have a really good friend out here in L.A. who's a, a Jamaican uh, reggae producer named Wayne, native Wayne Jobson. And I told Wayne that I really wanted to do the reggae version he said well if you're going to do it he said you've got to do it right he goes you got to make it authentic and I said yeah he goes let's go to Jamaica and uh, let's record it in Kingston so I went to Jamaica last April and uh, we recorded with uh, some of the great legend legends of reggae uh, guys who played with Bob Marley Peter Tosh um, Toots and the Maytals and he assembled this all-star band with Sly Dunbar on drums and Chena Smith on guitar. It was amazing. And I That's spent three days in Kingston. Uh, I don't remember much of it other than the fact I, I did have a record when I was done, but that's about all I <laughs> really <God>. remember. <laughs> um, but uh, but honestly, it's really cool. So I revised it. What I thought with that song, I said, the song is so well known. I don't want to do just an exact replica in reggae with a reggae feel. I kind of said to myself, if I was a new artist and I'd never heard this song, and I heard it for the first time and I wanted to make it my own, what would I do? And so I tried to do that as best I could. I tried to be objective and remove myself from the, the history of that song. Um, so it's cool. It's a, it's a definitely a reimagination of that, that song with an amazing reggae feel. That's so cool. We we uh, went to a reggae uh, concert uh, last year with like UB40 and Big Mountain and Maxi Priest, all mm-hmm. these great artists. And the energy of a of a reggae concert and, and reggae artists is so transcendent. When you're around it, it's oh, yeah. so infectious. I imagine it must have been magical in that room. Can't help but move, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, Jamaica brings us to a, a great point uh, of uh, you know this is the Margaret of a podcast. We love talking about vacation. We love talking about breaks. And um, mm-hmm. uh, are you able to uh, put down the work and 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 enjoy a vacation? Did it take you time to get into that? Because um, you're so prolific, you work so hard. Um, did you know how to turn that switch? No. 
Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. you know, I'll tell you a funny story about that. Um, when our son, we took our son on the road when he was five weeks old. Um, we homeschooled him and everything. And, uh, you know, so he traveled around the world and we constantly traveled. And so, uh, you know, one day when he was about 10, I guess it was 10 or 11, he said, uh, he said, Dad, why can't we take a vacation like normal people? I said, what do you mean? I said, we, we go to these amazing places and stay in beautiful hotels and we're all over the world. He goes, you know, just like go on a vacation. I said, well, why would you want to do that? And he said, well, you know, that's what people do. I said, all right, what do you want to do? He goes, I want to go to Hawaii. So I said, okay, well, we'll go to Hawaii. So we went to Hawaii, went to Kauai. And, uh, you know, he was all excited. He was scuba diving and he wanted to do all sorts of things. And I got to the hotel and I'm thinking, what am I doing? I said, now I'm in another hotel and I got nothing to do. It was, it was really weird. I, I, it, it took me like, so it, we were there for a week and I swear to God, it took five days to, to, to figure out what not to do. And then, right. and then we had to go home. So I was like, <laughs> I just spent X amount of thousand dollars to go to another hotel for for seemingly no reason at all. But he had a blast, so that's all right. Right. I mean, it's so funny to be like, what's the reason I'm on this vacation? <laughs> yeah, I, it didn't make any sense to yeah, me. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Um, so how, anyway. how did you, did you ever, like, uh, learn to accept that yeah, being there? I did. I, I yeah. told myself how to stand up paddle, you know, oh, great. which I still do, and I love to do that. Um, yeah, yeah. I got, got on the river there and, you know, watched the tortoise, you know, the turtles underneath, and it was amazing. So, no, no, I, and I'm exaggerating a bit. I, we, you know, we had a good time, you know, and I got a chance to hang, and, and I got a chance to meet uh, Donovan Frankenreiter, who's become a good friend of mine, and he and I made some music together, and we, we went on tour together, and all that came from, like, being in Hawaii. That's amazing. It's, it's so funny you bring up Kauai. We've talked to uh, Graham Nash, Timothy B. Schmidt. All of them always bring up Kauai. Yeah. It's a common it's theme quiet. on this podcast. It's quiet. It's a, it's a quiet, inspiring place, and it's it's definitely, it makes you feel like you're in the old Hawaii, you know, mm-hmm. in, in a way. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, do you plan your vacations now? Do you do you take them when you can have them? Can you go for a couple of days, or do you try to take weeks at a time? Well, you know, now that we we still have our house in Colorado, and because we're most of the time in Nashville. Uh, going to Colorado has become a vacation for me. Uh, it's really almost like, uh, you know, I've, I've, I like, it's like going to a health spa. You know, I, I'm outside all the time. I'm, I'm active, you know, and like I said, I'm, I drive my tractor, I, drive, I ride my bike, I hike, you know, just ski, all that stuff. So really uh, going to our little cabin in Woody Creek is, um, is really like being on a vacation. So it's really cool. And when you are on vacation, when you're in Colorado and you're in Hawaii, um, do you, are, are you able to turn off the uh, songwriter side of you or is that always present? Are you always thinking of new stuff? It's always kind of there, you know, um, and I find I have always found I've gotten these really great ideas when when I get ox- my brain gets oxygenated, you know, when I'm moving, <laughs> you know, when I'm hiking or riding. And I remember a few times years ago when I was skiing, I'd come up with these amazing ideas and b- before cell phones or, you know, before you could record in your cell phone, you know, I'd literally, I'd want to ski all day and I'd come up with this amazing idea that I was trying to memorize, try to keep it in my head before I forgot it. And I would like cut my day short and I'd go home and make sure I recorded it yeah. before I forgot it. Well, yeah, because finishing skiing takes so long. You got to take the boots off. You got to take, you, if you have an idea, it's going away. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fuse. Or you just keep, yeah. just keep singing it to yourself, you know, and drive you yourself go. absolutely batty. You know? <laughs> 
Perfect. Uh, well, we like to do something on our, our podcast just to wrap up. We like to um, uh, ask a four prong question. So the question is, if you could travel anywhere for one month, one week, one day, and one hour, where do you want to go? What's your vacation trip? So let's start with one month. Uh, John Oates, if you were able to go somewhere for one month, where would you want to go? I would go to our place in Colorado for a month. Yeah. Mm, I, I want to settle yeah. in and really just, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What season are you picking? Summer? Are you picking winter? Well, this year, now since I'm not skiing so much actively, I would pick summer. Summer in the Rockies yeah. is magic. Uh, how about a week? Where are you going for a week? Week. Now you're talking. Okay. <laughs> uh, you're like uh, I can't do a month. Yeah. <laughs> Italy. 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 What about Italy? Uh, well, my my mother's side of the family's from Italy, um, mm-hmm. and um, every time I've gone there, I've just it's just something about connecting to this uh, ancient, um, you know. Th- DNA that that's there, and you know, needless to say, the food and and the people are you know always the, the, just the lifestyle there is just so it's just so easy. Everything seems to work, um, you know. Uh, so yeah, Italy. Great. All right. What about one day? One day. <laughs> when and travel's not a problem, so so we um, don't count. Travel's not a problem, there. so I can no, so I can yeah. travel from my living room to my bedroom because that's where I'm going. Okay. Great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I like your style. Perfect. Yeah, no travel time involved in that. Okay, and one hour. Where are you going for one hour? One hour, I'd go in my little little vintage uh, car, my little vintage sports car on a Tennessee back road and drive. Yeah. Ooh, very I love nice. that. I love That's that. That's awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you? Where? Uh, what? What can we look out for? I know you have. Do you have a new album coming out pretty soon? Well, you know, I've decided that it's a series of digital singles, and they're going to. They three are be. Have, we've released three so far. Um, there's one more coming uh, in, a, in a few weeks, and then the Reggae Man Eater will follow that, and then after that, um, there's a there's a movie soundtrack that I did for a movie called Gringa, uh, which is a really cool movie that gets released on April 21st and that music will be coming out and um, who knows what's going to happen in the fall I, I may release kind of a I'm thinking about a modern folk record I've got all these really cool songs that didn't seem to fit into the into what I was doing right now so I might do that but oh, I've got tons of music to put out and I'm really excited uh, nothing physical yet um, just everything's uh, streaming and uh, you know I'm trying to trying to be active in the modern world Awesome. Excellent. John Oates, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Yeah, johnoates.com. John Oates official. Instagram. That's right. Yeah, yeah, And uh, Biggest Wuss in the Room shirts coming out. The big, biggest Wuss in the Room shirts will be uh, will be available on my website uh, any day now. Right. <laughs> any day. Keep an eye and out. And if I do anything embarrassing on TikTok, just uh, please forgive me. Of course. <laughs> <Okay>. No problem. <laughs> thank Thanks, you, John. John. Patrick, that was John Oates. I still can't believe it. Oh, my goodness. He was such a great guest. What a cool guy. Cool guy. Shared so many fun stories. Want to ask you something in particular. Yeah. When we had our little uh, hiccup, the biggest was in the room moment, what went through your mind? Because you jumped on it so fast. Well, it honestly felt like a stress dream in real life. (laughs) I, I have social anxiety sometimes. I'm very outwardly. I crash through my social anxiety. Yeah, I just uh-huh. kind of uh, <laughs> bull in a china shop. It. I don't worry about uh, if I say the wrong thing. I just say the wrong thing and deal with the ramifications. So uh, I was so prepared to fix what I had done. Once he realized it, thank God he repeated the phrase. Yeah. I If, if he's just responded and didn't repeat the phrase, we probably have a much longer miscommunication <laughs> that maybe would have never gotten clarified. And a much shorter episode. 
episode. <laughs> a much shorter episode. <laughs> also, I look up to him. When the Morning Comes is one of my favorite John Oates songs, uh, Hall and Oates songs. And uh, uh, so many of his songs are truly uh, just like part of my daily soundtrack. So uh, for uh, for him to think that I've insulted him uh, <laughs> is a near nightmare for me. Look for those shirts coming yeah. soon. Biggest wuss in the room. I know. He did say he was going to take the entire uh, revenue stream from it, but yeah. I might yeah. have to Which make... I mean, he deserves. Yeah, <laughs> he deserves them. I gave him that. Yeah. But I, I might try to sell some bootlegs outside his house or something. <gasps> oh, it's so fun. <laughs> so glad he was such a great sport. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Patrick, here on the show, Every single week, we like to talk about something that we did that was very Margaritaville. It doesn't have to be anything uh, gigantic. It could be something uh, very small, just something that we did that uh, instilled the Margaritaville way of life a little bit in ourselves. So what did you do this week that was very Margaritaville? Well, you know, Margaritaville is a state of mind. You don't have to go on some big vacation or something. But what I did that was Margaritaville is I went uh, to Dallas this week. with uh, I visited my brother uh, who lives there. Uh, and his uh, son, my nephew, and his name is Finn. Finn's up. Finn's up. So I was doing a lot of Finn's to the left, Finn's to the right. Cool. You know, it's it's really easy to be Margaritaville when you name a baby after the, the song. Yes. You know? <laughs> 100%. <laughs> so it's very That's helpful. That's a very fun move for a baby to oh, do, it's too. Fun. It's, it's so it's, fun. Yeah, it's great. He, he likes the air. He likes the space. So yeah. uh, it's good. And I'm, and I'm, I'm indoctrinating him early. I, I already have some plans to get him to think that song is about him. Good. Um, <laughs> great. And so it's, it's gonna we're going to create a little parakeet as soon as we can. Amazing. Ryan, I love it. what have you done this week that is Margaritaville? Yeah, so this week I was out with my fiance getting tacos mm-hmm. and I felt like I hadn't had enough so I went and got seconds seconds are a very Margaritaville thing very Margaritaville I had two and said you know what I could use one more so I went back up and said one more please and uh I was you know I, I go for seconds I think you should go for seconds absolutely every day in my head is Thanksgiving you're only there once exactly unless it's a place I visit very very frequently <laughs> Which, shout out to Guisados in Burbank, I do. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, then, you know, seconds all around. All around, Works baby. for me. <laughs> Ryan, wouldn't you know it, it's time to check out. Oh, it's time to check out. So until next time, I'm Patrick McDonald. And I am Ryan Middledorf. We will see you all next week. License to Chill is the official Margaritaville podcast. Produced by Tamara Baldanza-Decker, Courtney Watkins, and Kirsten Winquest. Art by Tom Boyd. Music by Aaron McAnally and Mick Utley. Additional resources provided by Coleman Sisson. New episodes are released every Monday. Subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts.